We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. Hi, I'm Nechami, founder of Carmela Cosmetics, a company that produces high-performance natural beauty products and is dedicated to uniting and empowering women through the power of color. This is We Are Women, a podcast where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories. This podcast came about as a way to give a voice to all women because we all have stories to share. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of bread and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night, and we are women. I had the honor of interviewing Cricket Lee, who is a female tech entrepreneur and an inventor known for developing a commercial apparel fit standard called FitLogic. During her development period, she has had over 750 stories written about her journey, including cover stories in Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Today Show, Forbes, Vanity Fair, and many more. Besides for FitLogic, Cricket holds 72 awards for creative excellence in advertising, including a National Addy Award. During her career, Cricket has also created marketing campaigns for British Airways, PricewaterhouseCoopers, JCPenney, Warner Brothers, and more. Cricket shared her journey with me in developing and creating FitLogic, her inspiration for creating this technology, as well as her new company, Bodasai, which she is launching next year, as well as her inspiration for creating her award-winning advertising campaigns. Cricket also shares her outlook on finding your purpose in life, challenges she's overcome along her journey, her views on inclusivity in the fashion world, and what she believes it would take to create a consumer-centric shopping environment. I'm excited for you to hear her story. I know that you'll learn a lot and be inspired. I grew up in East Texas, and I was um, always wanting to be a fashion designer when I was young, and actually became a fashion illustrator and had my own collection in a little boutique um, at that time when I was like 17 years old. And I didn't really know any better. I went and bought simplicity patterns, and I went and bought fabric, and then I would sell these little dresses, mini dresses, in the store there. And so. I had a collection called Cricket Creations, 17. <laughs> and my uh, friends would come buy these little dresses for like $25 each. And so that's kind of how I started and, and was a fashion illustrator when I was young. And so I always wanted to be in fashion. And I went, during my years of, of as I was growing up, I became a graphic designer and then went into marketing. and. Sometime years ago, I became a consultant for the fashion industry and started working to build and create fashion brands and learned a lot about creating a fashion brand and taking it to market. So it was about 25 years ago that I really started to think about doing my own brand around fashion. And I got involved with the executive director of Ford Models at the time, Mary Duffy. She'd written a book called HOAX on body types. And I thought, well, let me get involved with her. So we ended up uh, putting her on HSN for three years on, in a brand with, uh, with body shapes in it. But it was knits because what I learned later was that all the patterns are based on an hourglass shaped woman. So 
I decided to go find a way to get um, a brand to market that would work for older women because at the time there was a lot of really low rise pants and women over like a size 10 couldn't really wear them. They didn't really work. So it was really upsetting for the marketplace. And if you saw the movie Devil Wears Prada, that's the way it used to be. Start at the top, right? And filter down into the masses. So the design all came from one source. It was all just copied down. And so that's, it's not really that way anymore. It's more tribal now, but at the time that was the way it was done. So I started research in creating this body types into apparel in the beginning of like the 2000s, right? So it was like 20 years ago that I started this journey and I ended up creating, it took me five years to figure out how women's bodies changed by shape because what I have is a real science. So I figured that out and then I spent five years testing big box retail. So we tested Macy's, Nordstrom on QVC and I, um, we learned that women loved it. And so I was on QVC at one point and sold over $700,000 in pants in 14 minutes. And it was just phenomenal. Women online, I did the first ever Fit Finder. They would come online, feed in their measurements, answer questions, and then we would ship them pants. So that was kind of the beginning of the whole Fit Tech um, revolution, if you will. The Fit Finder really was designed to lead people right through to my brand, which was the Fit brand, right? I always wanted to license it to many brands, but I was way ahead of my time because as I learned, Fit is a brand attribute and every brand likes the Fit to be different. So I ended up uh, finishing up those tests and deciding that the only way I really was going to get to market because I couldn't really penetrate the fashion industry. As a matter of fact, if you Google Wall Street Journal uh, and New York Times, you'll see stories back in 2006, 2008 that say Cricket Lee takes on the fashion industry are clothes that fit the woman, not the store, meaning, you know, women loved it, but the stores would never do it. Right. So because they like to keep kind of confused around size so that you buy more. Uh, everybody's closet has probably two thirds of the closet they can't really wear or fit or like, right? Mm-hmm. So um so anyway uh i started i decided to start creating my own brand and my daughter natasha who's not with me here today but she's uh, young and beautiful and she decided to let's do a little black pant so we came up with a little black pant concept and we took it to market and we sold it uh, on facebook only we did about 10 million dollars in a year and a half so it was pretty phenomenal because you just don't sell one that way online, right? So we proved that women loved it and we proved that women would let us pick their fit. So a lot of people, I don't know if you've heard of bracket purchases, but it's where a woman will buy more than one pair to find something that might fit her. And so as a result, today returns are like 556 billion a year and uh, landfill, there's about 4 billion tons of landfill with clothing garments that have never been worn. And it's because of this problem. So anyway, we completed that. And then I licensed the fit logic out and it was, um, it was a learning for me because I lost control of it. 
And so I let go of FitLogic and Little Black Pant finally last year. I haven't really been involved in three years, but I let go of that last year. And now I'm putting in all of my learnings from all these years. And we've come up with a new brand called Bodasai or Bodasai, which is an acronym for Body Data Science. And so this Bodasai is a new fit brand that is licensable by all the apparel brands. So how it works is you come in and you'll take two pictures of your body, you'll answer a few questions, and then we'll assign your body code, top and bottom. There's four, top, four shapes on top and five on bottom. And once your body code is assigned, then you only have to look at clothing that's already made that fits you. So <clears throat> it's an exciting thing to do because as you know, right now, the onus is on women to find something that might fit. So that's kind of where I am today and kind of my journey around apparel and fit. Of course, it's a lot, lot more concentrated or a lot more detailed than that, but that's kind of the right for sure. long that's, and short of it. Yeah, no, that's so cool. So, so your goal, just to make sure I understand correctly, when you created FitLogic, it was to compass more body shapes like for women in terms of clothing? Well, the idea of FitLogic is to, was to be a license, like an Intel inside for apparel. So that once a woman knows her size and shape, any brand that carries it would fit her, right? That was the whole idea. But what I'm saying is the industry resisted that idea because every brand likes to have their own fit. Right. So they didn't really want to change to a fit that another brand might have, even though a lot of them use the same fit models. So we decided to go consumer direct and prove the concept. So that's what we did. So today, now we've added a whole online fit profile so that once you're in our fit profile, as we build, brands will be able to access your, your profile and our patterns, right? Mm -hmm. So you'll know your body type and shape and it'll be a code and you won't ever have to look at your size again. You'll just only look at what's going to fit you. Oh, wow. So this is really technology for all. This sounds like it's a, it's a technology for all brands really to to take advantage of and for consumers as well, because it benefits both. Exactly. I think once we get enough consumer adoption, we have about 150,000 women who've tried it and loved it. And once we get enough uh, consumer adoption, then the brands will want to participate. So that's what we're doing now. We're coming out with a new brand with me and my daughter in the spring to house this new technology. And so you'll come through the profile, we'll assign your body code, and then you'll be able to buy like a jean or a pant and a top to start with. And then we'll start adding more and more products so that you don't have to really try on anything anymore. That's the whole idea of it. That is so cool. I think every woman would love that. Thank you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So what was Thank your, you. yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I think doesn't matter no matter how thin or, you know, or what your body size is or body shape. I think literally every woman and girl would love it because you don't have to go to the stores once you know all your measurements and through this technology and your numbers, I think you said it's the number system. So it just makes so much sense that will minimize returns. You don't have to order like five things, you know, and you could order one, something that you like or whatever. And then you could just it'll keep it because you know, it's going to fit and look good. Yeah, now now return becomes like if you don't like the fabric or if you don't like the zipper or right. if you don't like the style on your body. But it won't be about the fit anymore. And that that's the whole thing. We eliminate like 
all fit returns pretty well. Once we've gone through the process with a woman one time, we've pretty well identified her permanent fit. And if she has a baby or goes through menopause or gains weight, we can ask just a couple questions and we'll be able to adjust it for her. So it really goes with you for life, the whole idea. For sure. Yeah. And so what was your inspiration for creating this technology? Was it because you were, you were frustrated with, you know, clothing and the fit and, or was it because your friend spoke to you about it? What was it? Well, I am a big girl and I am an older woman, right? So I always had a hard time finding clothes that fit me. And as times changed, we and the designers got younger and younger. They knew less and less about women's bodies and they didn't know anything about shapes at all. And so they were all trying to look at what was on the runway and design clothes for that. So that was a big problem at that time. So I just decided to, sol to solve it and find a way to, to add shape to clothing so that any style could be adapted to a woman's shape and she could buy the style based on her own personal generational or, you know, whatever culture she was in, she could buy according to that, but the body shape would always go with her. Right. Okay. That makes total sense. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I you just, you. you just mentioned that fashion, when you first, I guess it was like 20, 25 years ago, all the models on the runway had hourglass shaped bodies and it's interesting. And you also mentioned that you're not necessarily like the typical image, I guess, for, for um, the fashion industry. I think that's how you put it, right? Well, let me explain a little bit about the history of fashion. So maybe I'll give you a sense of it. Okay. So Sorry. size today comes from the 1890s. So the numbers two, four, six, eight, or whatever come from the 1890s. And then they started adding in European shapes and measurements for like jeans and so forth. So it's kind of a mess in that perspective. So fashion, so fit was standardized. So in 1890, the size was born. And by the time the mail order association had gotten really big. So after World War II, they measured uh, 15,000 Caucasian military women. So that was post-war and they were all thin because we've been rationed, right? So by 1952, they created a standard for apparel and they standardized it on an hourglass shape because if you take all the measurements of women in all shapes and you average them, that's what you're gonna end up with because that's like the middle shape, right? Some women grow in the middle, which they get wider in the middle. Some women grow in the thighs and the lower bottom. So if you average all those, that ends up being an hourglass. Well, an hourglass is only 20.4% of the global population. So what happened was they ended up setting standards for fit models based on three measurements, one bust, one waist, and one hip. So 35, 24, 36 was kind of like the general measurement of a woman that they used for fit models, but they didn't address the thighs or the way they stood or anything like that. So the fit models today are still based on that premise. And also they use the hourglass grade rules, which are the sizing rules, which are called they're called linear because they add, like if you've ever seen a simplicity pattern or a pattern, they add like a half an inch around the pattern to grow it up. Well, our bodies don't really change that way. They change very non-linear. So we have the sizing rules for these shapes because we studied 60,000 women to get here. And so we don't fit on one person, we fit on many people. So that's the difference in what we do and the industry does. 
And then in 1983, they, uh, vanity, uh, Ronald Reagan, who was the president then, lifted the standards and so vanity sizing was born. So today you've got all this kind of measurements and sizes and you know vanity sizing. So they'll they'll put a smaller label in it to make you think you're smaller. And it's just, it's really hard. And the main problem is that the onus is on the woman to find something that might fit. And and the job should be with the manufacturers to provide something that fits. Right. We shouldn't have to go through that frustration. So that's what I'm trying to change, change is that consumer frustration around finding something that might fit you. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. I, so, so that's interesting, by the way, what you just said about after the war, how the models all were hourglass shaped. And it's interesting because I don't think people know that. That's a very, you know what I mean? Like how it happened. They were also thin because of the food rationing. But I have a question for you because since you've been in the industry for so long, you know, I have friends who are also in the industry, but you know, they, they, they're kind of new um, to it, but they all talk about how we're starting to become a little bit more size inclusive, but we still have a long ways to go. And I'm curious to hear your opinion on this since you've been in the industry for so long. Size inclusivity is based on uh, now they've added diversity. So what they're trying to do is use different fit models than, than our industry standard, but they're still using the linear grade rules, which is what I was saying, the linear, linear sizing with it. And that doesn't really work so much, but the main thing is that they're all competing with each other. So you may have one brand addressing women with really big booties. You may have another brand addressing women that are a little more straight up and down, but they're all still competing with each other. So that, in my mind, is the problem because you still have to hunt and peck to find something that might fit you. Mm -hmm. And that's where your technology comes in. Mm -hmm. It's one, it's a, it's an Intel inside for apparel. So any brand can license it and use it and access our, if they license it, they can access our fit profile online and be able to access the women by shape, by body type and shape. Right. So the difference is that the, how they're addressing diversity now is using different shaped women, mm -hmm. uh, different ethnicities and different shaped women to make fit, but it's still up to you to figure out which brands have what fit. Right. Because there's thousands of brands out there. So even though it's better than it used to be, it's still up to you to find it. Right, right. So, so to me, I was just gonna say for me, a consumer centric shopping environment would be where you have assigned your body code and you never have to look at anything that doesn't really fit you out of the box. So that's with online growing and in store, you can't even try on right now. Like imagine going to, into any store and just grabbing something and taking it home. Or imagine going online and just buying something and know it's going to fit you every time. That's that's my dream. It's my vision. Right. That's, yeah. No, whether that's, you're really big booty or, or what, whatever, however your body shape is. It, we address size double zero through 28 right now and all shapes. So five on bottom and four on top. That's great. It makes total sense. And it's going to be so wonderful for, for women everywhere, for sure. Just curious to know, where does your name Cricket come from? Because it's so, it's so unique. <laughs> My dad, there was a comic strip when I was born called Cricket Barlow. And it now is called Snuffy Smith. And I don't even think they have comic strips anymore, but they were big when I was born. 
And so she was pregnant at the same time my mother was, and my dad was really a, a funny guy. And so he told her, I'm going to name our daughter whatever um, Cricket names her daughter. So that's what happened. She ended up having a son. And so he just said, I'm just going to call her Cricket. And he did. And from the day I was born, he called me Cricket. And I never would answer to anything else. So, you know, when you hit the first grade or second grade and a teacher start trying to tell you, no, your name is Alice. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> so finally, when I got old, changed it legally because it's really who I am. I'm really cricket. I'm, I'm not an Alice, even though that's my legal name. I, that was my original legal name. That's so funny. What a great story. Okay. <laughs> I'm definitely going <laughs> to keep that you. in there. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember watching some interviews with you and you spoke about some resistance um, that you were met with from people who you were working with when you created, I think it was FitLogic. So could you tell me about that? So the resistance is... Never that it works. The resistance is that because the day of like back in the 1980s and so forth, there were designers like Ann Klein and Donna Karen and, and Givenchy and people like that that were coming up. And they would look at their customer in the dressing room. They knew their retailers. They knew their manufacturers. They did their marketing. They knew everything. They were 360 on their brand, right? Mm-hmm. I actually was mentored by Stanley Marcus. I don't know if you know who he is, but he created Neiman Marcus with his with his brother. Oh wow! And okay. He told me, yeah, he told me that the day that the merchants that walked the floors and knew their customers became buyers and became about profit, that that was the beginning of the end. Because today the fashion industry is run by mostly men, and they're all about the profit. They don't have any clue about how something might fit. So it's now what they call siloed. So you've got the, you know, you've got the merchants over here and then you have the designers over here and then you have the fit techs over here and you have the CFO over here, the marketers over here. They're all in different, you know what I mean when I say yeah. silos? Yeah, yeah. They're separate from each other, right? So if I get the CFO excited about it because he's gonna save 75% in returns, and he calls over to the designer and the designer says to the fit tech, we're going to, we're going to try this. And the fit tech says, no, I have the fit. It's our brand. And we're going to keep the fit as our brand attribute. So we've, I've been through that over and over and over. So the industry itself, even though everybody's like you know, all these bankruptcies and all these problems and, and huge returns and so forth, they're reticent to change their fit because it's just their book, right? That's their brand book with fit as a brand attribute. So changing that paradigm is like turning the Titanic around. Right. It's not an easy thing to do. So what I have to do is continue to drive the consumer to adopt and try this. And then the consumer will say, look, I don't wear, I don't want to wear anything if it doesn't have this, you know, bodosai in it. I just don't, I'm not interested. And then once, once we get some traction with that, hopefully next year, then we'll have like a million people in our database. And then with a million people, we can go and start get the brand, start getting the brands on board because they're going to want to access new customers. And so that's kind of the way we're looking at it now is that we really have to drive the consumer to demand it. So, you know, I'm hoping women will continue to support it and, and come support this journey because it's a big undertaking, but it definitely works and women do love it. So I just have to stay focused and keep going. 
Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, have you seen any progress in regards to the science and technology developments in apparel throughout the years? Well, science and apparel really, when you think of science and apparel, you're going to think of textiles. You're going to think of uh, stretch components. You're going to think of dyeing. You're going to think of prints. You're going to think of 3D prints. You're going to think of really textile applications. Um, the fashion industry does not use science for fit. Now, there are a lot of fit technology companies out there, which I think you call fashion tech, tech or fit tech companies. And they are basically using AI and they're using scans and so forth to filter women through by measurement to something that might fit. So they're, they're going to take your measurements and your information and they're going to compare you to all the brands out there by measurement. Mm-hmm. But measurements don't address shape. Right. Because you might have, you know, shape like one shape and another shape overlap in measurements, measurement ranges, right? So that can't possibly work. And I also found that most women don't know how to measure themselves. So they don't want to measure themselves and go online and look at a measurement chart and see what might fit them. So they just order three pair, three sizes or whatever they do you know, or run in the store and grab a couple because it, they don't have to pay for it. They don't have to pay for the returns. Right. But it's killing the plant. For sure. It's not great for the stores either. Yeah. So what I have is really a true science, a really apparel science, because I studied, you know, it was a methodology that I created over the years on how to look at many, many women and study data and work with real women to apply it. So it is a scientific application, which is so different than picking a fit model, you know, fitting on a fit model, getting your sample back, correcting the sample, going back, and then using those old sizing methods, right? Absolutely. And that's what the industry does. Yeah. So that's the, that's the science. That's a true, it's a true science. So what was happening was I'm, I'm raising money right now, and I, was, uh, and I was in a conversation with an investor. She said, oh, there's so many fit tech, fashion tech companies out there. She said, I just, we just don't need another one. And I thought, oh my goodness, people think I'm a fit technology. I'm not a fit technology. I'm a science. We use technology to deliver our fit to women. We use a data profile and we use fit technology to deliver the fit to women, but the fit itself is scientific. So I shifted my whole presentation so I could focus on the science tech part of it, which is a brand new thing really. Yes, for sure. It sounds like it. And it's so, it's good that you made that differentiation because it's really, it's super important for people to know. Thank you. Yes, I agree. So what was the process like in regards to creating this technology for you? Well, you know, I had to study and figure out what to do. So in order to create this, what I did was I started with, with women, like I found, we found a common denominator size to work with. And then we started running scan buckets of different shapes. And I created these buckets to put women in. And then we started fitting on like one size and different shapes. And then we would move it up and move it down. I mean, it took five years to do it. We figured it out, but I threw out the book. I started over, didn't use anything old. And Uh so that's how I got here. And and when we let go of FitLogic and Little Bike Pant, um, this other company, then we took all of our learnings from all that, all those years of study, right? And now we've added the shapes that we see are missing. So now we've covered like 100% of shape, women's shapes, we believe. 
And so you should be able to come in and, and get your body code assigned. And then that body code should go with you through life. So that's how we did it. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about for a few minutes, um, creating your own reality in business. I would love to hear like your outlook on creating one's own reality and also like the law of attraction. I don't know if it goes together in your book, but like what, what your thoughts are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have, I've never heard of anything like what I'm doing out there before, because when you look at a Steve Jobs or a Bill Gates or a Tess, you know, or a, any of the people that were inventors and created new paradigms, you don't really find the resistance that I had because I'm trying to say to an egocentric industry, hey, let's become consumer centric. And that's a hard job because they've just come up, you know, kind of in their white tower saying, we're going to make it and you're going to buy it. So I think the whole paradigm around um, um, consumer centricity is, is important. And I think that that comes from me. I meditate like twice a day and I really have to get centered because when you've got people who really don't want what you got, right. Mm -hmm. Or copy you, it becomes very difficult. And so I think the only thing I've ever seen, like what I've got is a, is a guy called Bruce Lee. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He was back in the fifties and sixties, but he, China had this, this, uh, martial art called Kung Fu. And he came along and he started adding kickboxing and all this stuff to it. And they actually banned him from the country because he was, he was messing with an old culture, right? And trying to say, we're going to add these new things to it. And they just weren't going to have it. So I've never heard of anybody that's come up against the resistance. You know, he finally died. He probably was, was taken out, but who knows? But, you know, that's what happens you're trying to come up against an old paradigm, even though it's broken and doesn't work. It's like you're messing with, with egos. And then on top of that, you're messing with a patriarchal paradigm, which is, you know, the male, the male energy that's now rapidly becoming female. Like women are becoming more in power. We are, we are, we embrace things. And from a perspective of law of attraction, it's like, it's very difficult to keep your mind filled with, thoughts of what you want and not thoughts of what you see. And so I think it's, you know, that's, I think that's the hardest thing I've had to got, had to do was to embrace what's happening. Like I've been through three hostile takeovers. I don't know how I got through it. And I finally just let go. I'll go. And then I woke up the next day I was free. And so my partner said, you know, Cricket, you're free now. You can go do whatever you want to do. Like, no, 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 you have no this, you have no that, you have no baggage, whatever. And so I, I choose to take care of all the people that got me here. That's very unusual in this situation. And I am moving forward because I'm, I'm never going to give up until I really get this done. And I believe the time is now. So I think that the universe is with me in that, in that goal. Uh, because it really does have to change for the planet and for the people. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's so interesting because I find that most successful people meditate every day. There's something about really? that. Yeah. Like I'm speaking with people and I've been hearing this so often, like, oh yeah, I meditate at least once a day. Then I heard, I just heard from you, you just mentioned how you meditate twice a day. And 
it's interesting because as you said, it really is. It's not so easy to focus on what you want over what is what you see, you know, and I think meditating helps with that. That's the truth. Well, it does because what happens is this is what I understand is physically happening is that you're when you can really get quiet. It took me many, many years to do it, to, to figure out how to do it. But uh, finally, what they say is that when you actually do get silent, that your right hemisphere of your brain and your left hemisphere of your brain come together. And in that joining of the right brain, left brain, you know, creative and linear, whatever, that in that becomes the synthesis of your vision comes from that. It doesn't come from what your circumstances are. It comes from what's inside of you. What is your dream, your particular dream, and what is your, your purpose here? When you get really centered and you really surrender to what's there inside you, not what your thoughts are, then your purpose evolves and it just shows up. You really can't fight it because that's your purpose. That's what you're here for. And if you ignore it, like, you know, there, uh, I think it was uh, Wadsworth who said, or Henry David Thoreau said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Well, that's because they're not living a dream. They're letting the circumstances and the environment drive their thoughts and what they do. So it's, it's so important to just surrender to it. And it seems like every day I get up and I'm just renewed in my energy. And if I don't know what to do that day, then somebody will call or there'll be a text or an email and I'll know what to do that day. But I've been focused every day on this for 23 years. Like, I don't know how I do it. And, and be sane, right? It's just yeah. not easy. But along the way, I have up all my material needs. Like I had to give up my need to look good, my need to drive up a certain car or have certain money in the bank or be stable in my environment. I had to give up all that because I lost all that along the way. So it's just really interesting how, how this journey is, how journey is when you're, when you're living your purpose every day. And there is a lot of bliss involved because you, you can be in joy when you know you're doing what's right for you. And, you know, like I had a conversation the other day and I said, well, most people who, you know, lose, lose their assets or whatever, walk away from their investors and don't, you know, and because they can legally, right? Because it's about the law today. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't, and I'm not going to, because it's just not the right thing to do. And it doesn't matter what the law says. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. I'm doing it because that's what I believe is the right thing to do in my soul. So, so just let the world do whatever they're going to do. And I'll just do what I do. And my investors love me because they trust me. They just say, you keep going cricket. We trust you. Wow. So it's good. It's a really good thing. For sure. Yeah. So do you have any tips to, you know, to inspire people to do what they love and to, to find their purpose? Well, I personally think it has something to do with your childhood and that you had a vision of what that might be in your life when you were little. Me, I wanted to be a singer and I have been a fairly successful singer in the past. I don't, I'm not doing anything at that now, but it is a talent that I have and I wanted to be a fashion designer. So um, it's funny, I'm not really a fashion designer, but what I do really does affect fashion design. So it's interesting, but I kind of 
knew all along that I would be involved in fashion wow. through the years. I think to tell people how to look for their purpose is just to sit and meditate and like write down your thoughts and start journaling and see where it kind of takes you. Because if you're not happy in what you're doing, it's because you're not doing what you love. So you've got to figure out what is it, what, what it is that you love. And if you do what you love every day, you can't miss. It doesn't matter about the money. It doesn't matter about the people. It's you're happy because you're doing what you love. Right. For sure. Yeah. I love that because it's so important. People forget and they end up just working really, really hard and hating every minute of it, you know, and then instead of just focusing on what they love and creating that abundance and good energy flow, you know? Yes. I agree. You mentioned about hostile takeovers. Could you elaborate on that? I have to tell you, it is something that, that entrepreneurs need to be careful of. Over the course of four years, I let people, I let investors and operators come in and once they saw what we had, they uh, wanted it. And so they didn't want the past investors. They didn't really want me. They thought they could do it better without me because I was loyal to my investors. And so I went through several years of big heartache around that and um, was very difficult for me to get it, finally get it back. And I finally got it back this last December. And now I'm on a new journey and I'm happy to let the past go because it really was beta test, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't the real thing anyway, because now I've got the real thing because we learned all that in those years. You know, it's all good. And that, I've learned that, honestly, is that it is, you know, Shami is, is good. It's all perfect. It's all, it's all the perfect thing. And you just have to let let yourself know that it's all perfect. Yes, I love that. No, I love how, how you have such positive energy. I want to just end off with a couple last questions. One, which is very random, but I know that you've won a lot. Like I think it's over 72 awards for your excellence in advertising. Like you've created campaigns for huge co- corporations, you know, British Airways, JCPenney, Warner Brothers, and more. So where does your inspiration come from? Well, The thing that I'm really good at is finding white space or creating something new because big in big corporations, which are kind of driven uh, from a patriarchal paradigm, it's hard for creativity to exist. So I was able to go in, find white space inside those companies and create something new for them and then connect the departments together. So I'm really good at that. And that's why creating this whole Bodasai system that really connects all the brands. I, I know how to go in and fix all the bro- broken pieces of fit in the apparel industry from the, from the designer all the way through manufacturing, all the way through to the retailer and all the way to the consumer because I'm trained in that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the whole thing is you just know where to look to fix the broken pieces. Now, in my past as a consultant, I was able to create a new product and layer it into that brand and go help them sell it into some retailers or whatever, wherever they were going. And then I could let go because I had done my job. I'd created the new thing. The thing with what I'm doing now is that although I've done all the hard work, I still have to drive the consumer to demand it, to be able to get it into the market because it's not as easy as layering it into, you know, into the big box retailers. For sure. Did that make sense? 
Yes, for sure. And you said it's called, so this new technology that you're, the next part of your journey is called? Bodasai. Bodasai. So it's So it's a, it's an acronym for body data science. So it's BO for body, TA for data, and SCI for science. So Bodasai. This is how it's pronounced. And data science. So that was a, that was an easy way to get that out into the market in a unique way. That's very cool. So when can we expect to see this on the market? Well, I have a Made in USA manufacturing partner in place, and we're working on programs now to launch in spring. So hopefully we'll be up with this and we'll be able to you know, start asking women to help us drive it to market, to come adopt it and try it and use it. Oh, cool. That's so exciting for us. Okay, great. Yeah. And- People can go log on to bodasai.com and um, join, you know, join our mailing list. We can let you know what's going on. That would be great. Our, our um, Instagram is bota.sci. And then our website is www.bodasai.com. These are going to be in the show notes. So everyone can find you easily. Okay, great. Okay, so this is the question that I ask everybody to, you know, to end it off. Um, what is something that you hope the next generation of women won't have to struggle with? Apparel fit. <laughs> That's my purpose. So that <laughs> apparel fit. So listen, this is one thing I learned. If I learned anything in my journey, women feel bad about themselves when they have to try on clothes. And they don't work on their bodies. They feel like there's something wrong with their bodies. Men don't have that emotional problem. Men say, oh, there's something wrong with this garment. Not us. We think, oh, my God, I'm too fat. I'm too, my butt's too big. My butt's too little. Like, all that stuff goes on with us emotionally. So if that is taken out of our shopping experience, we're going to have so much fun shopping. It's going to be amazing, I think. Yeah, that's such a great point. It's true. It's totally true. I'm not surprised that was your answer. <laughs> um, okay, so where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? They can find me at uh, info at bodasai.com, and that's B as in boy, O as in ostrich, S as in Sam, T as in Tom, A as in apple, S as in Sam, C as in Charlie, I as in info. So bodasai.com. Do you have Instagram or? Yeah, it's uh, bodasai. So B-O-T-A dot S-C-I. Right. Okay. So I had that. I wasn't sure if you had like a personal one that you like people to follow if that was something. Oh, I have a personal one, Cricket Fits. Um, I'm not super active right now, but um, I will be, we will be starting in spring. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Cricket. I really appreciate <laughs> that you gave your time and you know expertise and shared it with us. Well, Nahami, it was it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. You just asked such intelligent questions, and I really enjoyed this interview a lot. So thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K. And on our website, CarmelaCosmetics.com. If there's a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard. 